Let's just come before the Lord. Let's just ask for His blessing. Let's ask Him to speak directly into our hearts so that He will be glorified. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we've been singing about Your praises. We've been discussing how great You are when we look up at the skies. We see the Milky Way. And that's right, it's the wow factor. Wow, how great God is. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray, may you put that same factor into us as we consider your word and the truth from it. Wow, only God could do this. And Lord, may you speak directly to our hearts, we pray. Lord, we pray that you would take away all distractions, that you would take away the thoughts of the weak, and that we would concentrate our hearts, our minds, and all our energies on listening to your word, but more so hearing what your Spirit has to say to us this morning. Do your work, we pray, and be glorified. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in God's Word to Luke chapter 7 as we continue our studies. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17 this morning. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, And the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I'm sure you'll agree with me this morning that the biggest obstacle that most human beings, I'd say all human beings face, is what? Is death. People spend millions trying to avoid and delay death through science, through Dare I say it, ladies, forgive me for this, beauty products, through medication, and now wait for it, through cryonic intervention. What is cryonic intervention? It's when they freeze up the body as soon as they can after the person has died in an effort to, and I quote from the website, to seek to prevent loss of information within the brain that encodes memory and personal identity, which is the true boundary between life and death. So that's cryonic intervention. And you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that done to you. Actually, they got the cry bit right. 
It's a cry for help, actually. It's a cry of hopelessness. And yet we're going to learn this morning that even in death, there is hope for us as believers. Even in death, there is hope. We saw last time when we got around God's word that Jesus worked with power. And yes, this servant was dying, but he wasn't dead yet. He was dying and Jesus worked with power. And he had authority even over a distance to heal a man completely. And this morning we're going to see Jesus' heart of compassion. It's just a different part of God that we're going to see this morning. Jesus' ability to act during our times of crisis. And so we can take hope in that as well. And we're going to look at this event, which is only described in this book. So you better pay attention today. You're not going to get it again from any other book. See, in the book of Luke, that's it. We're going to look at this event from six different perspectives, as it were, my favorite cameras. Six different cameras, and we're going to be looking at this event from those perspectives. And so I'd like to ask you to look in verses 11 to 12 this morning in your text. As we look at this perspective from, at this event from the perspective of God Himself, if I could put it that way. Here these two crowds come together. As Warren Wisby has summed it up so beautifully, he said, two crowds meet. One joyous, having just heard about a man restored to health, the centurion servant. And the other crowd coming out of the city, a sad, lamenting crowd. Lamenting the effects of death. Can you see it in your mind? Two massive crowds walking together and they join up at the city gates. The one crowd going in, the one crowd going out. Two only sons meet at this point. One alive but destined to die and the other dead but destined to live. I love that summary. And two enemies meet at this gate too. The way, the truth, and and the life, and the last enemy, death, they also meet at this gate. And so for a small little town called Nain, this is quite an important meeting. But you see, this meeting was no mere coincidence. It It wasn't just a coincidence that Jesus had walked the whole day, traveling 40 kilometers. By the way, next time, kids, you've got to walk to school. Jesus walked 40 kilometers between towns in one day. Jesus had walked for a whole day with this vast crowd with him and drawing more as he went. And as he comes to the city gates of Nain, here is this vast crowd, says our text, coming out of the city gate. And the one crowd would have to wait for the other to get out. Now, was it just coincidence that they'd met at that specific time? No. God was in control here, you see. He was arranging this meeting. You see, with, the city, with this crowd coming out of the city of Nain, they were coming out to bury their dead because no burials were allowed inside a Jewish city. It was forbidden. And so they had to come out of the city. And Jesus, he was coming into the city after this whole day's walk. And so here they meet these two crowds. God at work, about to demonstrate his glory through his son. He was going to demonstrate how Jesus had power over death and compassion for people, those two things. And let's keep those in mind. I wonder if your life's ever been like that. And I can tell you now, you'll say yes. 
where things happen and you can, you can with great certainty say that it couldn't have just been mere coincidence. It couldn't have been. Things follow up in a specific way and you know when you look back at that event and the sequence of events, it could only have been God. We have various examples. Abraham and Isaac, think of that example. Abraham's about to slay his son as an offering to the Lord and he hears the cry of a ram and God supplies the sacrifice at that very time. Gideon and his servant in the, in the camp, we looked at this as men, Gideon and his servant go down, they're petrified because they've got this vast enemy that they've got to conquer. And God has said, I'll be with you. And then God says, go down into the enemy camp. And as they go down into the enemy camp, at that very time, they're outside a tent of enemy soldiers and they hear them speaking. And they're speaking about how Gideon is going to be slaying them. And Gideon knew, this must be of God. How could that have worked any other way? George Mueller, he's historic figure who built orphanages. He sits down with the orphans at a table and there's no food in front of them. He prays, God, we thank you for this food you are about to give us. There's a knock on the door. The baker's van has broken down outside of the door. He can't do anything with it. And he says, would you like the bread? Would we ever? And the bread comes into the orphanage. Coincidence? Life from God's perspective, you see. And so see that at work, as God at work, as these two crowds meet. God at work in his time. Now, let's turn the camera to the widow. Verse 12. After helping this important centurion, Jesus now helps a nameless widow. Do you see the difference between the two? There's an important city official Jesus just helped and the Jews got behind this guy and they came and pleaded to Jesus, Lord, please help this man. He's an important man. And here's this nameless widow. She hasn't even got a name. She's a widow. She hasn't got a husband. She's lost her son. In other words, there's nothing in life for her. And Jesus doesn't say, I only help important people. No, he helps anyone. He does not discriminate in this way. And Jesus comes out. He shows no partiality and it says he saw this widow. You see, this widow was not just without a husband, but she was now also without a, her only son. In other words, in the Jewish context, she was completely alone and unprotected. There was no one to look out for her anymore. Without a close male relative, there'd be no source of income and no protection for her at all. There'd be no support for old age. And I'm sorry, she couldn't draw from an old age pension in those days. There was nothing for her. The family line that she was in was now cut off. No one to perpetuate it. Do you see the extremity that God portrays over here? Not by coincidence, by the way. And yes, the Old Testament law said that widows and orphans had to be looked after. But you know, at this stage in the Jewish history, they weren't so good at that. They weren't so good at looking after widows and orphans. Why? Because they were all chasing their own lives and everything they wanted. And God's law said you had to look after widows and orphans. The scribes, the, the religious leaders, they were supposed to set the example. But how does Jesus summarize the scribes? Luke chapter 20 verse 47, he calls them, they are the ones who devour widows' houses. So they weren't going to be much help either, were they? Because they would go in and make use, misuse 
of these widows who had died without, who had lost their husbands, were without protection, and they would try and see what they could get out of the situation. And so the result is, see this widow and get the picture in your mind, because then you'll understand the impact that um, that that it has when Jesus does what he does. You see, here's this widow. And she would now, after this funeral, have to start begging for food if she didn't have resources. She would have to go outside and live on the rubbish dumps of the city and compete with the lepers, with the other outcasts, and yes, even with the dogs of the city. She would have to fight them for food. Do you see the extremity here? She was in a, if we could sum it up from a human perspective, she was in a very tragic position. And she could have asked herself, is God really a loving and a caring God? If he was, look at what he's allowed in my life. Look what he's allowed to happen to me. I didn't just lose my husband. Now I've lost my only son. Is God really a loving God? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? When things go against you? Let's turn the camera again, and this time we're going to the perspective of Jesus himself. Verses 13 to 14 in your text. Our text says, the Lord saw her. Now, those are two really, really important words. You see, Jesus had seen funerals before. Many of them. People died a lot because medication wasn't what it is today. And so Jesus had seen widows before. He had seen grief before. But today it was different. Jesus saw her. He saw her. She was singled out for Jesus. And he hears and he sees the scene. And let's just put ourselves in the scene. Here's this big procession coming out of the city. And the way it used to work was they would have the widow walking in front and she usually would have ash and and she would cover herself with sackcloth to show that she was in, um, that she was in, in grief. And then behind her they would have the relatives comforting her, maybe a few family members. And then the friends of this person who had died. And then behind them and making the loudest noise would be the, the professional mourners. And they were actually hired to make a whole lot of grieving sounds and to be mourning officially. They were hired to do this. And so see this vast crowd. And then, of course, with the vast crowd, there was no good TV those days. You'd have the rubberneckers too, those who want to just join in on the action. And uh, they might just get a feed out of it. And there they all are, this vast crowd coming out of the city. And in a way, this widow is lost among them. But Jesus sees her. He sees her, he singles it out. And our text says, Jesus' heart went out to her. If you have the NIV, that's a really good rendition. His heart went out to her. The literal translation is, he was, li- he was literally moved as to one's bowels with compassion. Now, don't laugh at the Jewish interpretation there. We have the same thing. My heart felt it as if it would burst. We also refer to our internal organs. Well, they thought it rested in the bowels. And here Jesus' heart went out to her. In other words, he felt compassion for her from the seat of his emotions. In In other words, his whole heart was there. And Jesus experienced sorrow as we do. You see, Jesus knew what sorrow meant. He saw this widow and immediately his heart went out to her. He felt compassion towards her. And so he can understand when you and I feel compassion. 
But more than that, Jesus could see a whole predicament. He could see what was going to happen to this widow. And he could see her heart. He could see the grief in her heart. She had lost her husband and now her only son. And he felt compassion for her. That same compassion he feels for you and me when he sees our hearts. That same compassion he felt for you when he saw you lost in your sin, dead without him. Jesus saw you, felt compassion for you, and gave you life. That same compassion. He pitied you and me. Do you see the heart of God this morning? And what does he say to her? And people took, took note of this. Here's this widow coming out. Her, her son's just died. She's at the head of a crowd. And Jesus comes up to her and he says something which must have sounded strange. And if you didn't understand the context, it must have sounded quite cruel too. He says to her, do not weep. Do not weep. Jesus, can't you see what's happened? Her husband died and now her son's died and she's going to be out on the tip, Jesus. How can you say to her, do not weep? She's got every right to weep. Jesus says to her, do not go on crying. You see, if he hadn't known what he was going to do, yes, that would have been cruel. But Jesus knew he could do something about this. And so he says to her, do not go on crying. What had caused all this tear? What had caused all this grief? They've been dead. And what could this Jewish rabbi do about death? You see, up to now they hadn't witnessed this side of Jesus' power. They'd seen Jesus healing people. They'd seen him casting out demons. They'd seen him cleansing leprosy. They'd seen him healing paralysis. They'd seen him forgiving sins. But never had he raised anyone to death from dead yet, from the dead yet. This was going to be the first time. And now look what Jesus does. And you need to know the Jewish context here as well. Jesus go, goes up right up to this widow. He goes right up to the beer. Now, it wasn't a beautiful coffin like this one. It was just a plank. Poor people usually just had a plank and they tie the body onto this plank, drape it in its, in its um, morning, or not the morning clothes, the drapes that they used to wrap bodies in. And they used to carry this plank between two bearers with this body on top of it. See the picture. Jesus goes up to the widow. He says to her, do not weep. And then he turns to this body on the plank and he touches it. Now the crowd would have gone, oh, like this. Because you didn't do that as a Jew. Because what you just done was make yourself unclean. And here was a rabbi who should have known better going up to this beer and touching it deliberately and making himself unclean. How can he do that? Doesn't he understand? But Jesus had touched the beer. He had made himself unclean. He had violated the ceremonial laws of Numbers chapter 19, verse 11 to 22. But he knew what he was going to do, you see. He had come to conquer death and defilement and all these rules and regulations. And so here is the first instance we see of him doing that. By law, he should have been cut off from Israel. And that's what would have gone through the people's heads, you see. How can he do this? I love the pallbearers. They nearly pale into insignificance. But these guys knew something dramatic's about to happen, all right? Because they don't just carry on walking. They stop. Because something's about to happen. And the crowd is seeing this happening. And do you see the tension? There it is. Now what? 
And so very clearly, and they would have all heard these words, Jesus now turns to this body that he's just touched, and he says to him, Young man, I say to you, arise. And whether Jesus had whispered that, I doubt it. This was a command. Young man, I say to you, arise. I can nearly get goosebumps listening to that. It's a really clear command, and he's addressing this man lying on the bier. And as one commentator said, if Jesus hadn't been more spe- if he if he hadn't been more specific there, he would have had a lot of young men getting up from graves all around him. But he was speaking to this young man here on this bier, and Jesus says to him, "I say to you, arise." You see, this is the same Lord, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, who now speaks. The one same one that's going to speak in Revelation. This is the same Lord. Back in Genesis, the one who commanded light to pierce the darkness when he said, let there be light. It was Jesus speaking then, Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And now he speaks with the same creative power to this body lying on this bier. And he speaks with creative, a creative power to this dead corpse. Let there be life. And just like in Genesis, there was life. Now, we need to somehow turn the camera now to this dead guy. Alright? Now, it's too mysterious for us to understand. But listen to the hope in this, you see. Here's this guy lying on this dead beer, and he knows he's dead, by the way. He's dead. And then, somehow, he hears the command of Jesus coming through to him. I say to you, arise. His bodily processes started up again right there. His dead cells and his cold blood are suddenly and supernaturally made alive with that command. His heart is suddenly pumping again. His brain is active. And he sits up. Now, you always get these guys in life. They say, oh, that wasn't a miracle. Because when the body goes through rigor mortis sometimes, it also sits up. Well, no. This wasn't the same thing. Why? Because this body sat up and started speaking coherently. Now, show me a body that can do that one. You see, there was the evidence, and in front of these two massive big crowds, how many witnesses were there that day to see this? Wasn't this an amazing event? What dramatic way God uses to show not just the power of Jesus, but his own power. This was no coincidence. And with what tenderness they saw Jesus speak to that woman. But it's not over yet, you see. What does Jesus do? And don't miss this, by the way, in verse 15. It says that Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, that's the most anticlimax sentence I can find in Scripture. Have him. No, he didn't do that. You see, Jesus restored him to his mother. Now, I don't know what he did there. But he probably helped the guy off the beer, and then with his arms round him said to the mother, here's your son. You see the compassion of God. I, I take great hope in that. You see, because I know that one day I will die if Jesus doesn't come before that. And I know that sometime I'm also going to hear those words. And it won't be young man arise, by the way. It'll be arise. 
And I will hear those words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow, through the miraculous work, the supernatural intervention of God, I will also stand up. And if you're a believer here today, you will hear that command. And you will hear that command. Arise! Meet your Saviour. And we will be with Him. And if you are still alive, when Jesus returns, you will also hear that command. But you will be with Him. Do you hear the power? He gives us future hope, you see. If you're a believer here today. And so, let's turn this camera now to the crowd, because we have to look at them. There's a response here, it's very important. Verses 16 to 17. You see, when they saw this happening, when they heard these words, when they saw this dead man standing up and being given back to his mother, look at their reaction. They didn't go, they weren't American by the way. Yay! No. What happened? Fear gripped them. Fear gripped them. And then they gave glory to God. So why did fear grip them? You see, it's the human reaction when we see God in action. We realize who God is and who we are. And we are gripped with a sense of reverence for God. Fear gripped this crowd. And they broke spontaneously out into glory to God. The one always follows the other. If we are, give God reverence, praise will follow. But we need to know who God is and who we are. And this is exactly what happens over here. The crowd witnessed and they were awestruck. They recognized that God alone could raise the dead. No one could do this. Only God could do this. And reverence for God, fear for God was their first reaction. God was among them. And they recognized that. And they recognized that God had acted through Jesus as his agent. But they came to the wrong conclusion. They said, a great prophet is amongst us. A great prophet has arisen among us. And then they gave glory to God. God has visited his people. Now, a lot of these people were Jews. And when they used those specific words, God has visited his people, they were thinking of the Jewish history where in the past God had intervened and miraculously shown himself to be there, going through the waters of the Red Sea. That was God has visited his people. When he gave them manna in the desert, God visited his people. When he rescued them from the enemies, that was God visiting his people. And here again is evidence. God is among his people. This great prophet has made someone come up from the dead. And yet for all that we're told, and other passages tell us that, Matthew chapter 16, and I'll put them up there for you, Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, it tells us that the crowd missed the point. They'd seen Jesus raising a body from dead to life and they missed the point. They missed the point that this was their Messiah amongst them. This wasn't just a great prophet. This was the great prophet, capital letters, Jesus himself. And they missed it. And then today people say, show me more miracles and I'll believe. No, you won't. You'll miss the point. If you can't see it with God, what God has already given to you through His Word, through the utterance of His Word, you won't believe if you see miracles. You'll miss the point. They did. Look what they saw. But notwithstanding that, you see, God's intent goes out. And the report spread out concerning Jesus, says our text. Right throughout that region of Judea and throughout the surrounding district. And guess what? 
That report is still spreading today. How do I know that? It's just arrived here. The ripple has just arrived in Wanganui East. That report is still spreading today. And so we need to turn that final camera on you and I. You see, we also are involved in this story. And so I need to ask you today, this morning, as you sit here, will this ripple of good news, of hope that you've just heard about, will that stop with you this morning? Are you going to tell someone else about Jesus? Are you going to tell someone else about the hope that he can bring to them? Or is this ripple going to stop with you this morning? Are you too going to see someone who's in need? Are you too going to try and touch someone who is weeping and so carry on this ripple of hope? Or is it going to stop with you? You see the responsibility on us? And if you want this ripple to continue, it means that you're going to have to stop your chasing through this life. And you're going to have to pay attention to people. Stop. Pass on this message of good hope. You see, we need to ask ourselves, if I can't see myself doing that, there's a follow-up question just for you this morning. So who is Jesus to you then? Who is Jesus to you? You see, you two were utterly hopeless before Jesus found you. Just like those people that you can speak to, you were hopeless. And people might even have been praying for you for years. Your mother might have been, it's usually the mothers. They might have been praying for you for years. Your wife might have been praying for you for years as her husband to come to know the Lord. And then on a day, Jesus intervened. He saw you. He felt compassion for you. He saw you where you were dead and you couldn't react. And he came and touched your life too, like he did that dead person. And in the same way, he gave you life where there was only death. And you too sat up with new life. And you praised God because he put that new life in you. Do you remember that day? Or has it kind of faded back in your memory? You see, you need to ask yourself, who is this today? Is he the Messiah? Is he your Lord? Or maybe you're missing the point too. Who is he to you? And if you can answer that question correctly, the third question should also apply to you. Do you still have a healthy attitude of reverence or fear and giving glory to God? Do you still have a healthy balance in your life of fear for God and giving God glory. Are you still overcome at times at how awesome God is? We spoke about that this morning. How awesome God is, this one who you confess to belong to. Are you still overcome by how awesome he is? What an awesome God. Or maybe your reverence and your worship of God has now waned and you just recognize that he's in your life. And maybe it's waned and it's kind of petered down to just being a Christian. Just reading my Bible, if I read it, going to church on a Sunday, because that's what I do, and if your life has become a lifeless and a life-draining process. Stop. See who this is. Take stock of who this is, Jesus Christ, your Saviour. This same Lord who was in action in this account is now glorified 
He's ascended on high and He's imminently returning for you and I. Are we ready for that? And are we living a life that shows we are ready for Him? The great prophet, God with His people, do you fear and glorify Him? You see, God visited His people that day, but God hasn't stopped His work. He's here today. He wants to visit you today. He wants to give you a renewed sense of His presence with Him. He wants to give you a renewed sense of His power in your life. It doesn't matter what your situation is. He wants to say to you again, stop and see who I am. In any situation, I am God. I do not change. You are not too insignificant in His eyes. Like He saw that widow, He sees you. He's stopped right next to you this morning and he's saying, here I am, my precious child. Don't weep. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Take hope. Look to me again. Take your eyes off your situation and put them on me, the one who holds you and your situation in my hands. I am almighty God. And then with that gentle, compassionate voice, he says this to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Think of that widow. She had rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Who says this this morning? The God of the universe says that to you this morning. Your God, if you're a believer, says that to you this morning. He says to you, weep no more. You are in almighty hands. Will you allow Him to touch you this morning? Will you allow Him to have free reign on your life? In those areas in your life where you are dead and you need His life-giving power, will you allow Him to work in your life this morning? Or will you turn away from Him, squirm out of the situation and turn from that life-giving force in you, God Himself? And then lastly, I want to close with this question this morning. So what about death? What about death? You see, in this account we've seen the powerful reversal of death. Death thought it had won a victory when it came out those city gates. But they hadn't reckoned with the Son of Man. Jesus deals here with an obstacle we will all face unless He comes again before we die. There is life even in death. I'll repeat that. There is life even in death. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ went before me. And I am in Him. And therefore, what's happened to Him can happen to me. And He said it will. And we're going to read about that. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. And this is the passage I nearly want to stand up and proclaim this from the rooftops. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there with me. And take hope from this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 57. And I'm going to read it. Take note of God's word. Take note of his truth this morning into your life. This is Jesus speaking. Sorry, it's Paul speaking. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. Have you thought about those words? 
Even if you die, you will be made alive again and you will change then. Even if we don't all sleep, we shall all be changed. Here it is. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. The dead shall be changed when you hear that trumpet. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is hope even in death. Death isn't the end. What have we to fear from death? There might be momentary pain. And yes, that pain might go on for years. But in the end, that moment of death, there's nothing in that, you see. You close your eyes. And in the twinkle, in the twinkling of a, of a moment, you open your eyes and you're with our Lord. I was at the bedside once of a man, a godly man who died with Peter Somerville when I was up in Auckland. And we read him this verse, the specific, these specific verses. And then we prayed with him. And we were holding his hands, one on either side of him. And he passed on. I will never fear death again. It was in the twinkling of an eye, and he was with our Lord. What have we to fear? The only reason for that is because of Jesus Christ. But there is a point of application. Don't miss out the last verse in that passage, by the way. Here's the point of application now. We've heard this magnificent truth. We've got the hope. But now, so what? What do we do with that? Here's the application, you see. Don't miss out on this. This is what we do now in the week. He says to you and I, if we are believers here today, be steadfast. Because of all this, be steadfast now. Doesn't matter what happens to you. Be immovable. Because of what Christ can do for you. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You see, there's the application. Jesus Christ saves. He saves eternally. He will be there for you at that moment of crisis when you need him. When you close your eyes in death, he will be there. He will take you. He will make you to rise again. May God be praised for that. And that should give us the hope to live whatever lives God puts in front of us. Can you live a life of hope this week? Look what there is to look forward to one day. All is not lost. There is life even in death. Praise be to God for that. Let's pray. Lord, without passages like this that remind us of what you've done for us and the reality of this hope that we have, yes, even if we come through that crisis moment of death, Lord, thank you for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your power. 
Thank you for your compassion. And that you will be there. You've promised you will. When we die, you will be there and you will make us alive. And we will be forever with you. We give you praise this morning. And Lord, we have a holy reverence for you. And we have praise and glory for you from our hearts. Lord, find us here this morning a grateful people before you. May we not forget who you are, Jesus Christ. May we give you praise. And may it be lived out through our lives so that when we are living our everyday lives in this week, people will see us and know that you live because the ripple of the story of hope has gone out even from our lives. Lord, keep us faithful because you will be faithful, we pray. Amen.